I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. I hear my little kitten outside the door. I know. She just wants to come in and say hi. She can't. I'm sorry. She's way too disruptive. She is. She causes a freaking ruckus. Anytime we're recording, she causes the biggest ruckus on earth. I want to get right into this case because okay, let's do it. I have a lot to say, but uh, I have to get this out of the way. A massive, massive, honestly, the biggest trigger warning today for our listeners. Uh, we're going to talk of sexual assault, and we understand that that is a particularly sensitive topic to most people, and we definitely don't want anyone to hear anything they're unprepared for, so... If you don't think you're ready for that, you can skip this episode, go check out an older episode, or just stay tuned for any future episodes, because it is really heavy in today's topic and what we're talking about. Uh, We're briefly also going to touch on the topic of suicide a couple different times throughout this case. Um, It's brief when it comes up, but just so you're prepared. Um, And if you're not here for it, we understand. We love you. Mm -hmm. We just want you to feel safe here. Today, yeah, today we're actually sipping on alcoholic beverages, which we normally don't do. No, we usually are not under the influence of anything when we record, actually. No, I need my brain, like, full-powered for these uh, sessions, but... We first, when we first conceptualized the podcast, we had the idea of, like, smoking a little THC, but we quickly realized... We're incapable. We're incapable of completing the task. But, yeah, we got little bevies today. It's not like we're pounding them, but... No. <laughs> we're taking I've sips. literally been sipping on one oh, yeah. for the last should hour we give and a half. A little, should we give a little description of what we're drinking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess we can do that. Mine's nothing fancy. It's a Truly's Extra <laughs> Berry Blast, which I've never drank before, but it's not bad. Is it good? Yeah, it's all right. I'm drinking a Dr. Robot Blackberry Lemon Sour. Which are so good. I that think does sound really good. Yeah, they're made in Atlanta. They're really good. Oh, support the right? Southeast. Yes. America. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just wanted to let y'all know that Sarah and I are actually fun people who aren't just like holed up in a basement researching every single day. No, but quite often we're that too. But quite often that is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we're also recording like at night, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a first. Normally we're recording during the day. Right. Yeah, normally it's like bright outside, like at like noon we're recording. But it's like seven thirty and yeah. we're like on the grind right now trying to we're we're recording in Emily's bedroom and she has all her twinkle lights going on. It's very moody and nice in here. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I, know. I like the vibe of recording at night. Me too. I do too. It's quite nice. It's like very calming, I think. Um I don't know. Any other updates for this episode before we dive in? We're like uh, deep in December now. We are. Am I crazy? Uh, it's December 8th. That's pretty deep in December for me. Yeah. During the time. If you want to know how like far in advance we record these, it's like November 25th right now. And yeah. it's going to be December 8th when we release this episode. 
So yeah, we like to stay ahead of things. We love to stay ahead. <laughs> Which I appreciate. Oh, same, because... I'm sure you really appreciate it because you edit. But oh, yeah. No, it's very nice, actually. I love recording two episodes, like, every two weeks or however. Yeah, two episodes every two weeks. That's what we do. And it's so nice because I don't have to worry about, like, getting all my equipment and stuff out, like, every week. Like, we record two episodes every two weeks. And yeah. I edit them. And, and like, then we, we have two them. weeks to research exactly. a new episode. It we works kinda, out pretty well. Yeah, we have a really good system. Anyway, I'm sorry. I am feeling very tangenty today. (laughs) I like just went on a 20 minute tangent about like respecting victims and like our last episode and like how I presented it. And I just am feeling very talkative right now. So I'm going to let Sarah talk now. Have you heard of the rough sex murder defense? No. What? It's what it sounds like. The rough sex murder defense? Yeah, where the accused will claim, essentially in order to get a smaller sentence, that the murder they committed was caused by the victim's consent to rough sex. I have not heard of this. I've never heard of this. It's kind of a big thing, actually. That's insane. I've literally never heard of it. Yeah, and it's, it's really vile. Uh, Wait, can you explain that again? I'm sorry. What is the what is the, the definition? The accused will claim in order to get a lesser sentence when they're charged of murder that the murder or the death happened because of the victim's oh, because consent of rough sex. to rough sex. Oh, I don't know why I didn't process that the first time it you was, said it. It was a lot of words I was just kind of saying. I've, okay, I've never heard it referred to as that yeah but like i've definitely heard it like being in place like during trials and yeah, stuff coming up in cases coming up in cases yeah definitely yeah i just don't understand how you accidentally kill someone during rough sex Mm-mm. and we'll just go ahead and get this out of the way we are in no way judging or talking negatively about rough sex oh itself. no let me tell y'all something (laughs) no i'm kidding but like there's absolutely no kink shaming here i'm not one we are definitely not ones to kink shame but yeah we're yeah we're specifically talking about rough sex being used as a murder defense that's Uh, crazy oh my goodness just wanted to make that really clear because you never know but when rough sex is consensual and safe and you're both adults have at it we're in full support oh yeah are you kidding (laughs) This defense is also known as the Fifty Shades defense. No, it isn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's referred to as it, you know, from the book and the movie, which I've never seen or watched or read. Really? No. And I love Twilight, but I've not delved into that Twilight fan fiction. And, okay. I mean, I know they're not the same at yeah. all. They vary. They started at the same point, Once Upon a Time, and they are very yeah, different now. now. But I see what you're saying, how like, they start out as fan fictions and then they like... They grow into, grow their, into own their own yeah. entity. But I gotta say, um, I actually kind of like the Fifty Shades movies. Do you? They get better. So I want to go into the history about this defense a bit uh, before we get into today's case. Uh, there's actually been a lot of cases where this defense comes up. And the dangerous thing about it is it's getting the murderers less time. They get away with having charges, 
charges like voluntary manslaughter or criminally negligent homicide, when way more often than not, there's real evidence that it was no accident or it's following a history of abuse. Because no person is consenting to being killed when they're consenting to rough sex. That's fucking true. No consent to being killed. And it's also just always going to be the offender's word against the victim. So you don't even know what kind of story they're spinning to begin with. That's so true, especially when the victim is not able to defend themselves. Yes. So buckle in. This is a long episode, but before we get into today's case, I want to talk about another case involving this defense. One of the earliest known cases in the UK that involves the rough sex murder defense happened in 1972. Carol Califano was the mother of an eight-year-old child and was described as being very lovable and charming. She was 28 at the time and in a relationship with 38-year-old Peter Drinkwater. Shut the fuck up. That's not his last name. Yeah. That's such a British last name. Drink Drink water. water. During sex, Peter injected Carol with five anesthetics. He claimed that it was at her request and it was part of the erotic sex games that they would play. He photographed her while she was unable to move while she was dying. Peter at first claimed that she had killed herself and also says that it happened out of her own perverted sexual desires. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's not here to speak for herself I or her interests. See me, my jaw. Is yeah, on her the floor. jaw is on the floor. <laughs> my jaw is on. I like, like what? I've, yeah, I've sat with this information for about a month. It took me about a month to research this case because I just do a lot of research. I guess I don't know, but uh, I just yeah, yeah. I've had about a month to sit with everything that peter did to carol but emily's just learning it and her jaw is on the floor i'm just absorbing it just like everybody else who's listening to this episode peter drinkwater had himself a bit of a record he'd been convicted meaning found guilty three times for dangerous driving including one incident where he killed a man his ex-wife divorced him because of his cruelty and his regular abuse Loved ones of Carol did not like her relationship with Peter and noticed a big change in her once she started dating him, and she had been planning to leave him. Oh my goodness. These are all really big red flags for Peter. He was cleared of the murder charge of Carol. The jury found that he did not intend for Carol to die, and he did not intentionally harm her. He served only 12 years for manslaughter, and... My source for this case is the website We Cannot Consent to This, which is a pretty amazing organization based out of the UK that wants to end the rough sex murder defense. And according to their website in the UK, there have been at least 60 women killed in cases where the defendant uses the rough sex defense. And in the last five years, as of 2020, there had been 18 women killed in five years in the UK alone. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Why do you know why this is so prevalent in the UK? I don't know. Do they do this in the US too? I mean, I'm sure they do. I think it happens worldwide. I think UK has made a bigger deal about bringing awareness to it because as of 2021, and I think that organization was a pretty big part of making this happen, uh, 
the murder defense was banned in the UK. Oh, thank God. Yes. Okay. Thank God. As part of the Domestic Abuse Act 2021, which oh, is really amazing. Yeah. And I That's hope amazing. other countries have or will follow in those footsteps. At the United States. Yes. So if you would like to, and I highly encourage you to, please go look at their website. They have a lot of helpful information and you can just find it by Googling. We cannot consent to this. And they have a lot of information about previous cases and you'll really start to see the pattern of just how ridiculous it is and that it clearly happens most of the time after a history of abuse uh, between the partners. So, uh, everything about Carol's story really bothered me. So I actually did some more research on it and found out a few more things. Peter Drinkwater was a doctor. I can't get over the fact that his last name is Drinkwater. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why that's so unsettling to me. Well, I've never heard that last name before but it's drink very water it's not american it drink water drink water peter drink water was a doctor and he'd met carol because uh she and her child were patients of his at the time carol was in another marriage and so was peter they each had their own partners and i don't know a lot of details about their previous partners but i do know that peter's ex-wife wife sorry i cannot talk Peter's ex-wife left him for his abuse, and Carol's husband was incredibly concerned about Peter's behavior towards his wife. Peter became friends with Carol and her husband, and eventually Peter gets divorced, and him and Carol became involved. And Carol's husband went to police and stated that Peter was dominating and controlling his wife with, with drugs. But the police refused to get involved because it violated doctor-patient confidentiality. Oh my god. Yeah, so Peter was already abusing his power as a doctor, but unfortunately it got worse. Carol's parents also went to police and asked for help because they knew their daughter was in trouble and that he was supplying her with drugs. At the time, Carol was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety and Peter was treating her pretty poorly and the only thing she had to cope was drugs supplied by Peter. So, at some point, Carol had separated from her husband, and she continued this relationship with Peter, and they got married. Oh, no! Yeah. Uh, The morning after Carol had died, he contacted police and told them that she'd overdosed on drugs and committed suicide. Oh, my God. So, this is him claiming that she's fully responsible. He has nothing to do with it. But in a later interview, he admitted to giving her the syringe with a fatal amount of drugs in it. But he later changes the story again and says that he was the one to inject the drugs into her, but she had asked for it. Ew. Let it be known that by the time she was injected with these drugs, she was already severely drunk. In the previous two hours, she drank one double gin and tonic, one third of a bottle of wine, two double pernos, and then following this, he drugged her with two grams of theopental and gave her a second smaller dose of this hours later. He also gave her 10 milligrams of morphine, 200 milligrams of pethidine, 100 milligrams of chlorpromazine, and 100 milligrams of promethazine. I hope I said those right. 
God. Oh my God. That yeah. Is so much. Yes. I was about to ask a really stupid question and okay. ask where he got all of them, but then I realized he's, he's a, doctor. a doctor. That's what I asked the first time I read about this case. I was like, he injected her with five anesthetics and like, where's he like, getting it? How? He's a fucking doctor. And then I found this whole other article um, about you know this murder defense, and it like really deep dove into this case, and I learned that he was a doctor. That's so messed up. Yeah. Like, how can a doctor have that little regard for another human's life? You're supposed to be a healer. Also, is it not weird that the doctor is, like, taking home so much drug, Like, yeah, so many know. drugs, so I much anesthetics? Know. Like, is that not weird? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know many doctors, so... I don't I, maybe and that's this was not in weird. the 70s. I don't... I think oh. it would be a lot harder to do that today. Yeah. Uh, he then proceeded to take photos of her in very what's described as lewd and bizarre positions. Her official cause of death is postural asphyxia. So her airway was blocked by the way he was positioning her. Oh, my God. And because she was so drugged, she could not She move. couldn't, like, tell him that. <gasps> yeah. That's an awful fucking way to yeah. die. Oh, my she God. She deserved way better, and Peter deserved way more than 12 years. He only got 12 years? 12 years. He only got got for manslaughter. Fuck. Yeah. And there's hundreds of stories like Carol's. And it's a real problem throughout the world. And I can't believe it's a thing. I can't believe it's a thing. I mean, I'm not surprised at the same time just because I've learned just how awful people can be, I guess. But I can't believe that. Yeah. Through doing this podcast, like, you really are exposed to a lot of fucked up things but this is entirely on a different level yeah of fucked up today we are discussing a solved murder case and it's sad this poor girl i'm really heartbroken for her and her family and it's a really big case at least it was big when it happened and it's an international case and i spent about a month with it and it was a lot of information to kind of organize but so bear with me it's a lot of information but it all comes together at the end our victim of today's case is grace emmy rose mullane which is a really pretty name by the way such a beautiful name and she was born on december 2nd 1996 so she has the same birthday as me actually oh my gosh yeah she does yeah wait is it exact uh, I was born in 93. She was born in 96. But we're both... Uh, I can't do December that math 2nd. that fast. So... <laughs> That's why I asked. Uh, December she, 2nd is true, though. Yeah. She's from the town Wickford in Essex, England. And her father's name is David Mullane. And her mother's name is Jillian Mullane. And she is, she had two older brothers named Michael and Declan. In school leading up to university, she focused in media, English, and fine arts, and she was really into field hockey, and she was actually the vice captain of her team at university, and she loved drawing and painting, and she was a really good artist. Uh, She has a portfolio online, and it's full of the most beautiful watercolors, so I'm going to show you real quick. I'd love to see. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. She's such a talented artist. She has these amazing watercolor paintings. This one's my favorite. She posted on her Instagram once. 
Uh, this is a portrait, and I'm going to share it on her Instagram because I really like it. Um, and she titled it, like, in the description, emotional or emotionalist. And then she asked people to comment what they thought. But I get it because you kind of look at these this person's eyes, and you're like, you wow. can see how it's, like, full of emotion but also emotionalist. Yeah, these are amazing. I saw that um, she had a skull watercolor drawing that was really really cool and yes she has like elephant and like a girl like standing in the rain and oh my goodness wow what a amazing artist she graduated from the university of lincoln with a degree in advertising and marketing and then she decided to take a year to travel the world and her family said that she was so excited to go traveling She just seemed to have this zest for adventure and new experiences and meeting people. She was such a glowing and happy girl, very outgoing, very caring, full of aspirations, full of life. And she had a dog named Benson. Uh, He was like a family dog, but he was huge. He looks like a bear. That's so cute. And she left on her travels at the end of October in 2018, and she made a post on Twitter on October 26th saying, see ya England, with an airplane emoji. And she uh, she shared several tweets over that week and month anticipating her year of traveling. And one thing I really like about covering these more recent cases is that we're able to kind of go into their social medias and get a that really super, good idea of who they were as I a love person that too it's so interesting because on social media everyone's life is just put out like just in pictures and in writing and it's really interesting to see that these people were normal yeah. everyday human beings that could be people's friends their people's daughters there's people's sons like their husbands their wives there's yeah. it's really makes it very real yes and very relatable yes and uh from her twitter you kind of see that she was aspirational she loved life uh she loved dogs she seemed to always be positive and optimistic about things like if anything bad ever happened to her she just kind of rolled it off her shoulders that's amazing uh she had like a lot of joy to her uh she was really dedicated to her studies in university and was passionate about art And she loved celebrating with people, having drinks, taking photos. Uh, She loved her friends and lifting them up. And she was okay with being weird and being a goofball, too. Uh, There's a photo of her on her Twitter. And she, like, cut up this cardboard box and was wearing it as a hat. And it had these giant, like, googly ball eyes, like, taped to it. And she was just totally okay just being a goofball like that. That's so cute. Uh, She was a self-claimed shoe addict like her mom work girl she also knew that if a zombie apocalypse ever happened she would not be prepared same yeah right same girl i don't know that's something i want to get better at is really preparing for a zombie oh shit (laughs) (laughs) uh, getting to know our victims better yes me too really because sometimes it's really hard to find information on them and who they were it is because for some reason as a society we focus on the perpetrator. Yes. We focus on the we aggressor. Focus on the crime and the aggressor. 
we need to focus on these people, the yeah. victims, the real life human beings that were taken away from us. Absolutely. It just, it breaks my heart. Grace spent about a month in South America where she traveled to Chile, Patagonia, and Peru. And I'll include some photos from her travels because you'll see that she was so happy and so excited. After South America, she went to New Zealand, which her parents have stated that she was particularly excited for. And if you don't know the geography of New Zealand, it consists of two larger islands referred to as North Island and South Island, as well as it has like 700 other smaller islands surrounding it. New Zealand is so beautiful. Right? I've always wanted to go. Me too. Uh, She also had plans to visit Australia, Thailand, and the Philippines. However, she would never make it to those places. Grace visited the North Island of New Zealand, and she arrived in the city of Auckland on November 20th, and from there she traveled up to the most northern part of the island, an area called Cape Ranga. And, you know, I actually thought my geography was really decent, but I, I always thought that New Zealand was north of Australia, like where the Philippines and Indonesia is, but it's actually east and south of Australia. So I learned that. Wait, I kind of thought it was north too. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. I was like looking at a map because I was really trying to understand like her travels and just about New Zealand in general. And I realized it was in a completely different part of the ocean than I thought it was. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, my geography is not great either. Ah, so. Well, you can add that to your brain. That's Thanks. really where <laughs> New Zealand is. And after visiting Cape Ranga, she went back to Auckland, arriving there on November 30th. Auckland is not the capital of New Zealand, but it's its largest city. Do you know what the capital is? Wellington, which Ooh. is also on the North Island. It's just at the very bottom of was, the North Island. Yeah, I did a lot of did research. did a lot of research on this. Damn, yeah. Get I just it. really start to nerd out about things. And then I'm just, I become so curious. I'm like, okay, well then what's New Zealand like? Let me learn about New Zealand. And yeah. then I just study about that. I love that. So yeah. Just like, I feel like Sarah's the better better at just all around well, giving the story i have the way more time for it than you do okay yeah that's kind of true because emily <laughs> over here is in school that's so true and she has a full-time job and she was doing an internship till just now like a few weeks ago and she also edits this podcast so i'm like i'm surprised you even find any time to research actually <laughs> It well, blows my mind. I do it for you. And you do a great job. Thank you. Yes. Grace stayed at Base Backpackers, which is a hostel chain based in Australia and New Zealand, and she stayed in a four-person dormitory. And Grace was someone who was really open to meeting people on her travels. She traveled with a group in South America that she'd met up with and some girls in Cape Ranga. And I don't know if there was a prior relationship uh, with these people before if she just met them through traveling uh, she used tinder to meet up with a couple people in New Zealand though um, and I know she was traveling in New Zealand specifically by herself and I'm not sure if she'd used Twitter Twitter <laughs> tinder before to meet people while traveling uh, but I do know for sure she went on two different tinder dates uh, while in Auckland So she matched up with a few people on Tinder her first day there and went on a date with one man on the 30th. 
and they Facebook messaged for a while and she agreed to meet him. And not much is said about this date, just that she went and they ended up watching a film together at his place. And then that was it. They never saw each other again. And then the next day, on December 1st, a man that Grace had matched with the day before reached out to her on Tinder. And I'm not going to name him yet. I'm going to reveal his name in the timeline when it was publicly announced who this person was, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, New Zealand keeps people's identities pretty sealed in cases unless necessary. So, and we'll have a lot of names for pretty much any witnesses. Okay. Uh, Interesting. It shouldn't be too confusing, though, because it's really just Grace and then this man that we're going to talk about now. Okay. So, Grace chats with this man on Tinder, and he's very persistent on taking her out. And she seems a little hesitant. She definitely doesn't say yes right away, but he continues to push her to take her out. And uh, she eventually agrees. And thank God for cameras, because a lot of this evening is captured on CCTV footage, which is amazing. Thank God. Yeah, it's definitely a huge part of the reason this case got solved so quickly. That's great. We were just saying in our last episode, CCTV needs to be way more prevalent. Yeah, because we now have a very accurate timeline of events that the investigators are now able to build everything else around. It's amazing what, yeah, cameras can do for cases. Grace left her hostel at 5.30 that day dressed in a black dress and white Converse shoes. She went to Sky City, which was an entertainment complex and casino, and her date had asked to meet her there at a bar. When she arrives, she takes a photo of a Christmas tree that she messages to her family. This would be the last message that they would ever receive from Grace. Oh yeah and grace had kept up pretty much every day with her parents and her brothers on our travels oh my goodness like you just know she was like the sweetest yes oh, that is so sad so grace's date arrives and there's cctv footage of this moment when they meet and they hug and they go off to andy's burger bar for drinks and it seems like everything's going pretty well i don't think Starting off in this footage, there's anything alarming about the person she's with. Uh, There's no bad vibes going on either. They both seem really into each other. They seem like they're enjoying themselves, and it's not even awkward or anything. So they get their drinks, and they chat for a while. And after this, they went across the street to a place called Mexican Cafe. And here her date will later say that here they just people watched and imagined what their lives were like. Interesting. Okay. While this date was going on, Grace was texting a friend named Amina Ashcroft. Grace messaged Amina saying, I'm on a date with a guy who is a manager for an oil company. She also messaged her cocktails all around and said that her plan was to celebrate her birthday, which was the next day, and that she was going to get smashed, which I think is a very British thing to say. Smashed. Smashed. I love British accents. I and love British, British slang. slang. Yeah, I'm obsessed with British slang. It's so, it's so. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I wonder if British people do American accents for fun. To me, it doesn't sound nearly as fun or interesting. Right. Shout out to all the Brits. Right. And uh, 
I'm going to add this in too. We fully support Grace's decision to go out drinking on the eve of her oh, birthday yeah. and kidding? have a good time. That yeah. is so something that you should just be able to do. Yes. As a human being, you should be able to do that. Yes. As a woman, you should be able to do that. As yeah. a man, you should be able to do that. There's absolutely no judgment. Yes. So, victim blaming not tolerated here. Absolutely not. Uh, Grace's final message to Amina that evening was, I click with them so well, I will let you know what happens tomorrow. So Grace and this man leave Mexican Cafe and they are seen on footage. He pays for their tab and Grace chats with the hostess there and she's smiling. She seems to be really enjoying herself. The last place they go to is a pub called the Bluestone Room where they drink more and end up kissing. Footage captures him going to the bar and returning to their table with two shots of tequila. They clink their glasses and drink and then Grace gets up. Uh, sometime after and it's assumed she's probably going to the bathroom or something but during this time we see this man that she's on a date with take her bag and start searching through it and then he puts it back before she gets back which is super weird ew that's weird really big violation of privacy what the fuck especially when you met that day yeah why would you do that what are you looking for like what But that's the first red flag we see captured on camera with this man. And at 929, he leaves a comment on her Facebook under her profile picture that says, beautiful, very radiant. Ew, I hate that. That sounds like one of them sugar daddies that DM you on Instagram, like the fake sugar daddies that they're like, beautiful, radiant. It gives that vibe. It gives that vibe. That's so gross. This comment was left only 12 minutes before Grace would never be seen again. What the fuck? Her date lived really close by. I believe it was both a hotel and a residential complex called City Life Auckland. So they end up leaving the bar shortly after she got back from the bathroom and going to his place. And they're seen on their way holding hands. He has his arm around her. And the last time Grace is seen alive is by elevator footage at 9.41 p.m. when she's exiting onto the third floor of the building with this this man. The next day, December 2nd, was Grace's 22nd birthday and her family and friends became incredibly concerned when they messaged and called her to wish her a happy birthday and she had not replied to anyone. Days pass without any message from Grace, and her family quickly knew that something must be very wrong. So they contact Auckland authorities and report Grace as missing on the 5th of December. And Grace's brother, Michael, wrote on Facebook about his sister being missing, stating, Grace has been missing for five days. She has not returned to her hostel room in Auckland, New Zealand, and family members have had no contact since Saturday, December 1st. That's so heartbreaking. I can't imagine that. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Imagine like being in a completely different country and you have like just no way to go check on your daughter or on your sister or like easily be able to access. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so scary. That's got to be so scary. So the police were pretty diligent. From the start, with Grace being missing, even with no signs of a crime happening, they began to review CCTV footage of the surrounding areas of where Grace was staying, and they also released a photo of Grace 
and asked the public if they'd seen her or if anyone had any information that they could bring forward about her. So the search began for her on Wednesday when she'd been missing since Saturday. So that's already a scary length of time. But it isn't uncommon for a traveler to have no contact for a few days. You never know if they lost their phone, were out of service, or went traveling somewhere where there just wasn't any contact. It's really not uncommon, but with Grace, it was especially concerning because it was her birthday. She was in the city of Auckland, New Zealand. It seemed like she talked to her family pretty much every day. Yes. So, obviously, I feel like that would be very concerning. Yes. And as the days went on, they knew something must have happened to her. The police quickly identified the man that Grace had been with that evening, and they find him specifically through the comment that he'd left on her profile photo, and they realized it was the same man who was in the footage. Oh, the chills. That is so scary. Yeah, so on December 6th, they reached out to him via Facebook for an informal interview, and they met him at a local food court, and they interviewed him, and he tells them that about their night, That all matches up with the CCTV footage that they'd found so far. But he tells police a very shortened version of their date. And he tells them that they eventually went their separate ways after. And that they'd never gone back to his place. Oh shit. The detective also asked for his address to which he gave a false one. And when he was asked about it later, his answer was he misunderstood the question. Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. How do you 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 misunderstand where do you live? Yeah, right. What's your address? How do you mess that up? Following this informal interview at the food court, he was asked to go into the station to give a formal statement of what happened, which he did. That same day, he arrived very well-dressed, kind of said the same thing he'd stated at the food court, and his body language was definitely nervous, but... He was professional, well-dressed, well-spoken, but experts will look at this footage and notice that especially when Grace's name would come up, he would kind of become closed off and fidgety and, you know. Interesting. Almost as if he was lying about something. I always thought body language during interrogations and interviews has been really interesting. Yeah. Especially, um, there's one YouTube channel that does, like, very detailed commentary yes. on interrogation. I think I know what you're talking about. It's like JCS psychology or something like that. Maybe, yeah. And they're just amazing at giving like the most detailed like commentary on interrogations and it's interviews. It's very interesting. It is. Maybe we'll do a little episode on that or yeah. something. So Grace's father, David Mullane, after he'd reported her missing, immediately boarded a plane and flew to New Zealand. He arrived on December 7th, and he made a public appeal for his missing daughter. And I was able to find it. It's really heartbreaking to see a parent go through that, having to ask the whole world to help them search for their missing child. And he described Grace as lovely, outgoing, fun-loving, and family-oriented. He told the public that Grace had never been out of contact for that length of time, and he asked the public that if anyone knew anything, no matter how small, of his daughter Grace to please come forward to the police with that information. And following the public announcement by Grace's father, 
Detective Scott Beard announced that they were currently reviewing through CCTV footage and trying to figure out what happened to Grace. And they announced that their last known sighting of Grace was 9.41 p.m. on December 1st at City Life Hotel with a male companion that they had identified and spoken to, but they did not reveal his name at this time. And they also regarded an apartment at this hotel as a location of interest. However, at this time, they still had not found evidence of foul play. They were still treating it as a missing persons case. I find it very interesting that um, New Zealand chooses to keep these names private. When, like, in the U.S., I feel like we are very public with suspects definitely it is a very everything's public record yeah it seems like new zealand does things a lot differently yeah which i mean isn't a good or bad thing like it's not either or it's just as different uh the detective announced that this male companion was not a suspect but a person of interest and he was not in custody at this point they'd only questioned him so this person of interest was being suppressed and that's very common in New Zealand, as I said. Uh, Since a person is innocent until proven guilty, persons of interest identity are often protected unless necessary, and it usually takes a judge to unsuppress someone as needed in an investigation or trial. That makes sense, though, because, like, we try to upheld or uphold your innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But with our, like, ways of making everything public record it's very hard to get cases solved when there's so much like public like input yeah when like true uh, just the only thing i could think of right now is like delphi yes when like the guy was just like his full name released like his everything is released and like innocent until proven guilty but, like, in the media's eyes, in the public eyes... They're already guilty. He's already guilty. Yeah. So, I mean, New Zealand might be doing something with that. Yes. Because, I mean, if you look at this case alone, the investigators did a really good job. So, if you kind of... I mean, I only have this case to go off of. I would imagine maybe New Zealand does really well with cases or investigates cases really well. I feel really like well New Zealand is always, like, on top of the game. Right, like, they were the first country to have no COVID. Like they oh, were shit, like, yeah, the, like they're always on top of it. Yeah, so. look at that. Um, and yeah, and I guess suppression would work in a system like that that you could trust in, and know that investigators were doing everything in their power for yeah. the victims. I know they did in this case. But yeah, it that's kind of how it's done there. That's awesome. What I learned. That's great. So it seems like the police were finally starting to put things together because on the 8th of December, the police made a shocking announcement to the public. They announced, Grace is no longer alive. This is a murder investigation. They interviewed the person of interest again that day and they called him out on his story not lining up with CCTV footage because they did not end their date the way he told them originally. In the interview, he starts to come clean. Or at least tell a different version of events. Uh, And he admits to the police that Grace was dead. 
but when he's asked if he killed Grace, his answer is no. But despite this, investigators arrest him for the murder of Grace Mullane. On December 9th, the man led investigators to Grace's body on a road called Scenic Drive in Wydekir Ranges, which is a mountain range outside the city of Auckland. Wait, Waitakere? Waitakere. That's how it's pronounced. Waitakere Ranges. Whoa. Yeah, sorry. This case was incredibly hard to organize, but I wanted to lay it out chronologically from what the public knew at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But the police gathered a lot of new information during that interview with him that would come as quite a shock to them and the entire world. Um, So with that, we'll kind of go back to December 1st and discuss what likely happened that night. Partially based off what this man says happens, but adjusted because of the evidence that would be found in the CCTV footage. So this man had an extremely troubled childhood and was a compulsive liar, falsely claiming that he was an offshore oil manager, that he had cancer, that he was part of a gang, that his mother had attempted to murder him as a baby by locking him in a car and setting fire to it, that he was a professional softball player, that he came from a family of millionaires, that his father was an owner of a franchise of bars and he was in New Zealand to buy and open more bars and so many more lies. He was just a constant liar. The definition of a compulsive liar. Yes. That's crazy. But with all that, this is what he says happened on December 1st. They'd gotten back to his apartment, which I believe was like a single bedroom apartment. Uh, The crime scene photos kind of make it look like it's a hotel to me or something pre-furnished. But when they get back to his place, they're feeling really drunk. They start kissing and she starts to bring up Fifty Shades of Grey. And he's going to make it seem like she instigated everything because he's trying to paint a picture of his innocence in this and that he's not responsible for what happened to grace and that everything they're doing is her idea but he's cornered he can't deny that grace died in his presence and he tried to cover it up but he can say that it was an accident and that he didn't mean to do it doesn't mean it's true i just can't believe that if you dumped her body somewhere else so yeah just saying He said that Grace proceeded to tell him some of what she was into sexually that she tried with her previous sexual partner, and then Grace brought up bondage. Grace then began biting him, so he bit back. He says that he stopped her and asked her, is this really something you want to do? And Grace answered, we're in the moment, let's go with it. The man would tell detectives later that rough sex wasn't something he'd done before. He was really used to sex that was just sex and that he was uncomfortable but he really liked her and was open to trying he said that they talked for a bit more and then grace again instigated what was now rough sex and this is where it gets a bit more graphic she held his arms above his head bit him hit his butt and then held him by his neck and then he describes the sex after that as violent they ended up on the floor where they took photos of each other. She then asked him to hold her by the throat. And it's 
possibly getting too graphic for platforms. <laughs> so I'll stop there. But I suppose you can imagine that they are now having sex and she's asked him to choke her simultaneously. Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a woman like wanting to be choked during sex, but in this situation, the woman's dead. Yeah. She's not here to speak for herself or her side of things, and we don't know what she's into. Right? Like, she, she what, just turned 22? She was 21. 21, yeah. 21, 22. Yeah, she's not here to explain her side of the story, so. Yeah. Absolutely no victim blaming going on whatsoever. It is okay to want to be choked during sex. And for the length of time it would have taken to choke Grace to death and to cause her wounds was more than five minutes without oh, relieving pressure. God. There's no way she was okay. Anyone would be okay with someone continuously choking for that long without relieving pressure. And it's extremely likely that she got to the point that she was scared and wanted him, wanted him to stop or ease up. And if he had, she would have recovered and not died. But he did not stop applying a heavy amount of pressure to her neck that entire time. And the autopsy is not released, but this is coming from an expert who spoke at the trial. He says, after that, he got up and went to the bathroom where he fell asleep in the shower. What? So at the very least, he's admitting to not checking on her after he just choked her during sex. That's at the very least. I just want to say that, like, if you're experienced in rough sex, like he's claiming that Grace is, yeah. like, you have a safe word. Exactly. If you're, like, experienced, yes. like he's saying that she is, yes. that she instigated it, like, Absolutely. There's no excuse for what happened. That's his that's his fault. There's no excuse. Yeah. And if what he were saying are true, like at the bare minimum, if, it's true if at you all. gave him like what he's saying is true, he's saying that after they were done having sex, after he'd been choking her, he did not even acknowledge her or her safety. He just got up and went to the bathroom without even looking at her. Yeah. kind of what he's saying. That is this, what he's saying. He just said he fell asleep in the shower. doesn't even make sense. That makes you look like a fucking douchebag anyway. Yeah. So. so at the bare minimum, you're a massive douchebag, but he's way more than that. He's probably a murderer. Probably. According to him, when he woke up, he went back into the bedroom. It was dark and he couldn't see Grace on the bed which he makes it sound like he assumed she would have gotten up off the floor and gone to bed if she was still there. So he says he assumed she left and he went to bed. So it's unknown exactly when Grace died, if she was alive after midnight and therefore died when she was 22 or if it was before midnight and still in the first when she was 21. And... You know, the first time they questioned him, he said they split up after their date. But in this other interview, he's changed his story because the police are starting to call him out. And the fact that Grace is never seen leaving the hotel and CCTV footage is literally everywhere in Auckland. It's kind of incredible. And it's really decent quality, too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I'll CCTV. definitely be leaking 
linking the linking. Uh, all, <laughs> all the footage um from this case because there's a lot of it it's like an hour of footage wow so yeah according to the man uh in the second interview with police he went to sleep he however was not and police would learn that at 1 30 a.m on december 2nd he searched for wide ranges in google maps which would later be where grace's body would be found he then searches hottest fire and then he accesses multiple porn sites and watched eight hardcore pornography videos. Which After you just killed killing someone. someone. Yeah. What the fuck? Wildly fucked up. Not that watching if, porn is fucked up. No, no. Have at it. <laughs> watching I'm saying porn after right up. after you just killed someone. That's that's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, that's not yeah, cool. Because if it was truly an accident, these are not the things you'd be doing. You would not yeah, no. be watching porn after you killed someone. You'd be calling Unless the you were police. fucked up. I mean, yeah, unless you were fucked up. But you'd be calling the police if you accidentally killed someone. At 1.45, he begins to take photos of Grace. Oh, God. These are later described in court as trophy photos. Oh, and fuck. we can't say for sure if Grace was dead or not in these photos. But either way, if she's alive, it's proving that this was premeditated because of the searches he already made. And if she was dead, that's really disgusting. And it does prove without a doubt that he's absolutely fucked up and a creep. At 6 a.m., he searched rigor mortis, extra large bags, and carpet cleaner. Ew. Sometimes I get scared that someone's going to see my search history and think I'm a serial killer. Just because we're researching. But just because yeah. we research. I have that thought, too, at times. Right. Because I've Googled rigor mortis. I've also I, Googled rigor mortis. I will own up to that, but in very different circumstances. Very, very different circumstances. I feel like it would be okay if we're like, no, we have a true crime podcast. Like, I, I promise. Like, you can follow us on Spotify. <laughs> He said to the police that he woke up the next morning and found Grace on the floor with blood coming out of her nose. He said he began yelling at her, moving her, trying to get her to wake up, that he contemplated calling 111 emergency services, but realized how bad the situation looked. He told investigators about how scared he was in those moments. Shut the fuck up. Right, And he's, of course, had told the police that he'd slept through the night he didn't tell about these google searches and everything else that the police would learn pretty quickly because this investigation took a week what a liar yeah it was pretty open and closed at 7 51 a.m he was on tinder again contacting a woman he'd previously matched with to confirm a date they'd planned for that day damn Following this, the man is seen on CCTV footage shopping for a suitcase. And it's creepy. He's standing in the store, standing by this display of suitcases, and he ends up purchasing a large gray one, and he then returns to his hotel apartment with this suitcase. By 8.14 a.m., he was back at his apartment, and he says it was then that he just couldn't take it anymore. And he tried to overdose on pills. Shut I think this up. is likely something he made up. 
Shut up. Two. Are you Why would you buy a suitcase and then try to overdose? That doesn't yeah, make right? sense. Um, yeah, I think he was trying to humanize himself or gain sympathy by coming off empathetic or remorseful. No, you bought that suitcase to put her body in it. Yeah. Be real. Because he told detectives that he'd bought the pills when he bought the suitcase, and yet it was not on the receipt. Stop lying! Yeah, stop lying. <laughs> so, if he'd... Yeah, he yeah, that didn't happen. That's not how it went down. So, uh, he struggled putting Grace in the suitcase, and he ends up leaving Grace halfway in the suitcase when he is seen on CCTV footage leaving and going to a nearby supermarket where he buys a bleach-based cleaner, gloves, and gum and takes these things back to his hotel. At 10.42 a.m., he goes to a car rental shop and rents a red car for 24 hours. He does some more Google searching for flesh-eating birds and are there vultures in New Zealand. What the yeah why would your first thought be flesh-eating birds i don't know that's so weird okay he'd also i mean earlier remember that night he'd researched hottest fire yeah that's i don't know I don't maybe know. he's just not all there <laughs> at around three that afternoon he leaves his place and goes to a bar to meet the woman from tinder oh no this date is also captured on CCTV footage. This woman, who was a former journalist, says that they'd talked for weeks before the date, but he seemed unusually persistent. And not, persi not persistent in the way that other guys might be, as if they were just really excited, but persistent in a more unusual, like, alarming way. This woman describes that something felt very off about him on their date, that he seemed a bit nervous and fidgety. The woman said he talked about very odd topics. He even talked about a case involving rough sex where the man ended up serving time for manslaughter. And he told her, it's crazy how guys can make one wrong move and go to jail for the rest of their life. He Damn. also told her how he was friends with police officers and that the police were having problems with all the bodies they were finding in the Wydekir ranges. I know I keep pronouncing that wrong. Explaining that police dogs could not trace a scent if the body was more than four feet underground. I don't even know if that's true. I don't think that's true. But, shit, he's saying all this when he's about to go bury Grace in these mountains. So, when he's on this date, does he just have her, like, in a, halfway in a suitcase oh, no. in his room? Uh, yes. Oh. Well, I don't know. She could have been in the suitcase by then, because he keeps going back and forth to the hotel and whatnot. So, it's Jeez. not entirely sure, like, because it's just based off what, what he's, he's saying. saying. Yeah. We don't know. What a fucking liar. Yeah. I don't know. He's got to be like the dumbest killer ever, though, because he's in a city covered in CCTV footage. He has to know that. And he's right. made all these purchases and Google searches that if he ever got caught for, they could go back and see. Right. And he has the paper receipt. Yes. Like, did he use cash? I don't know. And then he's going on dates talking about the murder he just committed. Right. So dumb. But 
At the end of their date, which lasted about an hour and a half, the woman had this intuition that she was unsafe. And although they'd parked on the same street, she pretended she parked somewhere else so that she could part ways and walk in the opposite direction from him. Very smart. Yes. After this day, he goes and rents a rug doctor machine, so a carpet cleaner equipment, and he takes this to his hotel for about an hour before returning it. Back at the hotel again, he gets a luggage trolley and takes it up to his room and then gets the suitcase with Grace in it and another black sports bag and take both to the car he just rented. He goes back to the store or to another store, I don't know, and buys more gloves and stain remover. The next day, December 3rd, the man takes the rental car to the Wadakir Ranges. He stops at 6.50 a.m. to buy a red shovel and four bolts. I don't know what the bolts were for. They never said, but he bought them. That's so interesting that, like, he committed this murder and didn't have any of these supplies to, like, figure out what his plan was after. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Okay. He went up Scenic Drive in the Wadakir Ranges and buried Grace in the suitcase in a shallow grave covering it in branches. At 9.30 a.m., he parks his car outside the hotel and goes back in barefoot. At oh. 9.50 a.m., he drops bags off at a dry cleaner and then goes back to the store he bought the suitcase from and buys another suitcase. And then goes to a car wash where he cleans both the car and a pair of shoes. On December 5th, at 4.50 p.m., the man disposed more belongings of Grace in a trash can in a nearby park. On the early morning of December 6th, the man took an unknown hour-long trip to Mission Bay. Investigators don't know what this trip was for, but they suspect this is where he disposed Grace's phone because it was never found. And this would be the day where he first talked to police in the very informal way. And he was only known as a person of interest because all they knew then was that he was the last confirmed person to be with Grace. So when he admitted to them that Grace was dead, insisting that he was not responsible for her death... They told him that an autopsy would be done on Grace and that the pathologist would carry out the examination. And detectives told him, quote, they're very skilled at establishing a cause of death. Do you understand that? Did you kill Grace Mullane? And he told them no. So Grace's body was found on December 9th. And that day, there was a press conference made from Detective Scott Beard announcing that Grace had been found dead. And I will say this uh, detective, Scott Beard, he was kind of the voice of the investigation, but he seemed like such a caring person. Yeah, Aww. he seemed like a true advocate for victims and really seemed to care about this case, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. So the man, still unidentified by the public at least, uh, appeared in the Auckland District Court on December 10th and it was announced on December 13th that the shovel used to bury Grace was found in Central West Auckland area by police. Grace's funeral was held in Essex, England on January 10th and then on January 16th, 2019, the man pled not guilty. 
and the trial began November 4th, 2019. So just under a year after uh, Grace died. The defense stated that Grace's death was an accident, a result of rough consensual sex, and out of fear and panic, the man had covered up her death. During the trial, it was revealed that Grace, based off her injuries, was held down by force and was strangled between five and ten minutes. Oh my god. It stated that she had over a dozen bruises and that nine of them likely happened at the time of her death. And these bruises were on her upper arms, left clavicle, collarbone, and shoulder. And when it comes to the blood that was coming out of her nose, a multiple pathologist confirmed that due to the strangulation, it had caused blood vessels to rupture in her face and on her left eye and also caused the blood to come out of her nose. And experts also noted that death by sexual or erotic asphyxia is extremely rare. There was a lack of defensive wounds from Grace, and the defense would argue that this is because she was consenting to everything that was happening. But experts say that she would likely not have defensive wounds if she was being held down the way that he likely was. He was a lot stronger than her, and her bruises were conclusive of being restrained. Oh Plus, he was God. choking her. She could have become unconscious yeah, she pretty easily. Out. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the former partner of Grace did speak at court, and he said that him and Grace had experimented with bondage and sexual asphyxiation. He explained that they had a safe word that See? Grace... Exactly. That Grace would use... When she wanted to and grace had a history of searching topics related to bdsm online and talking to friends and boyfriends about the topic this is all proving that grace had a history of rough sex in a safe and consensual way yeah like she knew what was going on like she knew yeah. how to do it safely yes and she had boundaries and knew how to set them yeah that clearly this man didn't follow on November 22nd, 2019, after five hours of deliberation, the jury found the man guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 17 years. Taxpayers had paid $400,000 in legal aid to the murderer of Grace Mullane in his defense against the murder charge. In a victim's impact statement, Grace's mother, Jillian Mullane, spoke directly to the killer. She said she'd do anything to trade spaces, places with her daughter, that she knew her daughter must have been so afraid, and that she wished she'd been there instead of her daughter so she could have had a future. Oh my God. And her mother does share that losing her daughter threw her into such a depression that she contemplated suicide a few months after her daughter's death, oh. but did not go through with it because she knew... She could not be the cause of any more loss to her sons or husband. Oh my god. That's it's so, so this sad. poor family. Like break they break my heart every time I've heard them talk about Grace. The father, David Mullane, was diagnosed with cancer during the trial and passed away in November of twenty twenty. Oh Just so god. sad. Oh my god. After goodness. losing Grace. Um, they also lost the father. That is 
awful. Uh, the man's identity remained suppressed. However, I believe at some point his name was leaked. Um, it couldn't be reported on on any media as they would have been heavily fined and any person that was involved could be jailed for up to six months. Wow. Yeah. This man's identity was suppressed until December 22nd, 2020. That's two years after the murder, almost a year after his sentencing. And it was revealed that his name was Jesse Kempson, who was 27 at the time of killing Grace. Gross. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. I told you before, as my voice cracks. <laughs> uh, he's a compulsive liar. We already know he has violent and abusive tendencies. And this would only be further proven by statements that were made during the trial of people who knew Jesse Kempson. Uh, he was born in December of 1991 in Wellington, New Zealand, and his parents separated in 1994. And not much else is known of his childhood. We know his father raised him, and it's said that his father was emotionally and physically abusive of him. And he didn't have much of a relationship with his mother after the divorce, despite his efforts to contact her. And supposedly his mother moved to Australia where she raised his brother. During the trial, Jesse said that his parents' divorce did cause him depression and anxiety as a child, but with counseling, it helped him get through it. And also during the trial, the judge said that his mother's rejection of him may account for his treatment of women to which jesse laughed off um i think that's a pretty fair statement yeah beyond this nothing else is really said about his childhood in detail but in the trial they point to his traumatic childhood as influencing his inability to understand right from wrong as an adult or even to make good decisions in general and they also point to his relationship with his mother or lack thereof being a huge factor in his treatment of women eventually he moved out from his father and he did live in sydney australia before returning to new zealand and living in auckland in 2016 and he moved around a lot uh, he lived with different flatmates and was in several facebook groups cons constantly looking for new places to live it seems like he couldn't hold a place down weird or was very transient probably because people pretty quickly saw through his bullshit yeah in 2016 he met someone on tinder and began dating her and they moved in pretty quickly this woman says he was abusive and on january 19th 2017 he tried to kill her he chased her around their house with a knife and then proceeded to choke her they broke up in April of that year, and she ended up not pressing charges against him for the incident, but did have a restraining order against him. A year later, in April of 2018, he met a young British woman on Tinder, and she states that he sexually assaulted her in a motel room, which is scary similar to what happened to Grace. She luckily made it out of alive. This is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Wow. Well... 
on trial for the murder of Grace in October of 2020. He was also found guilty of two charges of sexual violation, three charges of assault, two charges of assault with a knife, and one charge of threatening to kill for the attack on his ex-girlfriend, and he was sentenced to seven years and six months in prison for this. He was also convicted for the rape of a, another British woman from Tender in November of 2020. This gets kind of graphic. She talked about how she'd feared for her life the night she spent with them. She'd made plans with them to go out to a bar and drink with them, but these plans had changed to drinking at his apartment. While there, they chatted, and he told her crazy stories about an estranged father and being chased by a gang. Okay. He also told her that he was really into her, that he wanted her, and even was in love with her. After one night, ew. Okay. He then began kissing her, and she told him that she would not be having sex with him, but he did not listen to her. <sighs> and sexually assaulted her during this she explains how he was cutting off her air supply with his body she couldn't breathe was kicking him to fight back so that she he'd know she wasn't okay she eventually was able to breathe and she pretended to pass out thinking that would get him to stop but it didn't and afterwards he said to her in a very accusatory way you don't think i did that on purpose do you Oh, God. Yeah. Ew. So fucking terrible. That poor woman, she said she was so scared she was going to die. And after he assaulted her, he'd gone to the bathroom and came back out clutching his stomach, claiming to have cancer. Shut the fuck up. Are yeah. you kidding me? I don't. I didn't really want to delve into these stories too much, but it's really kind of painting a picture of who he is. And just how guilty he is of everything. Oh, yeah. How he's very conscious of what he's doing. And kind of the worst part of this is Jesse's defense accused this woman of making this up. Oh, my God. Which is disgusting. That's horrible. Defense used text messages to say that she was leading him on. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's a very fucked up thing to say to a woman. And... She had to relive this trauma in order for Grace to get justice. Right? That was really brave of her. Other women also came forward with their experiences with Jesse Kimson and spoke in court. Two weeks before the murder of Grace, Jesse began talking to a waitress on Tinder. She said they got to talking on the app about rough sex. And she said that they went on one date where they did have sex, which did include choking. Which is pretty funny because he originally told the police he'd never he'd never had, done that before had rough sex before. T. Yeah. Another woman came forward and spoke of the messages she'd shared with Jesse Kimson and that he he'd expressed his interest in feet domination and strangulation, and she said she never went out with him because he was being really persistent and just giving her a bad vibe. He sounds like an all-around just awful vibe. (laughs) Yes. He always lied to make himself seem rich, attractive, powerful, and he would always come across really well-spoken and articulate and well-dressed, but 
it seems like specifically when he was drunk, people said this all kind of went away and it became pretty obvious he wasn't who he said he was. He always owed people money and at times didn't even have a job. I don't even know if he had a job, honestly. Yeah, wait, that's kind of tea. I don't know. Previous roommates did report that when they lived with him, he wasn't working, but would make claims that he was from a rich family and would always have an excuse for why he couldn't pay rent, that his money was held up in accounts overseas or some other shit. Shut up. Detective Scott Beer described Jesse Kimson as a narcissistic and a sociopath, and Jesse Kimson never admitted to the murder of Grace and has always retained that it was a result of consensual rough sex. Fuck you. Yes, fuck you. New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, made a statement to the family saying, On behalf of New Zealand, I want to apologize to Grace's family. Your daughter should have been safe here, and she wasn't, and I'm so sorry for that. Oh, Yeah, New Zealand just seems like such a caring place that does seem yeah, so caring. all their officials seem very caring the u.s is fucked yes yeah because i mean the investigation was done really fast the investigators just also i heard handled the crime scenes very very well that's awesome that's great uh the trial happened Pretty in less quickly. than a year yeah. which is awesome too and it lasted only two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And now the prime minister of the country is literally coming forward and apologizing for to the family on behalf of the whole country. Right. So the I want to go live in New Zealand. Same. The U.S. can't even compare. We're all. Just, it's also where they ugh. filmed Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it so. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Grace's story. And it's. That's Sad, horrible. but it's also important that we remember Grace. Oh, absolutely. Her paintings are beautiful. I'm still thinking about those. Those are amazing. They are. They're really good. She seemed like she was just so full of life. And it's so sad that like this is the second case that we've covered of young women who are solo travelers. Yeah, just that's true. Trying to experience life. And it's just so heartbreaking that women can't live their lives as a solo traveler or just in general by themselves without feeling scared for their safety yeah i am so scared to travel which sucks because i've always wanted to do it right but I don't know yeah thank you for sticking out with that one that was a rough one yeah but uh stay safe stay strange and we'll see you in the next one